I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. We are in our third movie, man, for Dark Disney. And last week was a little more, as you said, cloudy hey, day Disney. Rainy day <laughs> Disney. It's good. It's fine. But dude, yeah. if out of the four movies, <laughs> this one probably most exemplifies the Dark Disney tone of where we are going for. Uh, dude, I didn't think after starting with Return to Oz that we could possibly get any darker than that. <laughs> I was wrong. Right. I think we wrong. both know what's coming up next. And and we know yes. what's what's after this is is we know what's coming for that. So we expect that. But dude, right, no question about it. This is the darkest of all Disney animated movies. Dude, yes, a hundred percent. It is a I mean, even the darkest moments of Pinocchio, the whole child yep. endangerment situation and people getting turned into animals. Thankfully, like unlike Sword in the Stone, nobody gets turned into an animal in this. Lies. People get turned into frogs in this. <laughs> right? Dude, this movie is fucking dark. Oh, I guess first we should say we're talking about the black cauldron. Oh, yeah. But they already know that. They looked at their phone. <laughs> sure. But you have to say it. Come on. Black cauldron. What if someone did, What if someone can't read? <laughs> they just stumbled into us yapping. Oh. Well. What if they were in a friend's house and they just walked in? Uh, anyway. Cauldron. Cauldron. And, and, and it's funny about this, just like Sword in the Stone, though, with this movie, because it's part of a book series from Lloyd Alexander. This is the book three in The Black Cauldron from a series of books um, called The Chronicles of Predane. And if just like Sword in the Stone, which is part of a book series, you can tell that there's something happened before this. You don't get lost. You don't lose anything. But you can tell something happened before it and something happened. And you can see the continuation of where it was going to go next, just like with Sword. But neither movie had a follow-up. Uh, as we discussed last week, too, remember a little BTS on Sword was Roy Disney was talking to Walt saying, hey, man, no more animated movies. You got enough in the in the catalog to re-release for till the cows come. And you're like, we don't need anything else. Ironically, dude, he was so heavily involved in all the animated movies after Walt passed, which I always thought was super funny. But this one, he did voices in this. He did a ton of shit in this. Well, I think you're seeing it until Roy's soul in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just going to say it. Something else that we, we talked about ahead of time, too. This is, I couldn't find any more information that would contradict this, but it looks like Silver Screen Partners with a co-production with Disney. And they've done that before with like touchstone stuff and live action here and there. But I think this is the only animated movie that they did this with. 
But but unlike all the other Disney movies that we compare it to when we said this is the darkest of all the animated movies, this does, even though it looks like it, as you pointed out when we talked, this feels like something that Don Bluth would have done after he left. Right. And we touched on it last week where we talked about Dragon's Lair and Don Bluth. This feels like, like, like you just said earlier, this feels like this could have come from that world, from the Dragon's Lair world. Yeah, I mean the the way the characters move. I mean, even the way they're drawn, man, and like the yeah. the, the action sequences, and you know, the, there's the sh- the shot that you sent me that I think you posted, um, dude. That is the shot you get. Game over, and you turned into a skeleton, yes. right? I mean, when I when it popped up during the movie, I literally laughed out loud. I was like, "Holy shit!" And it was a nice break for me because, I, dude, I gotta say, the movie had me on like I, I don't know why, but I was on pins and needles, like fucking. It, I was super anxious watching this movie, yeah, which is weird. It's so Don Bluth, so Dirk the Daring, and also like you said, it's very much Ralph Bashke, circa nineteen seventy seven. I think uh, his uh, his Hobbit. Uh, Lord, of the, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit came around at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I can't remember the order in which. The, I can't remember either. I don't remember which was first, but it dude right out of that world. And uh, and but I'm gonna say better than both of those. You can tell there is definitely some, and you know you can't be you know this again. We should point out too. 1985, this movie gets released. Okay, these movies took three or four years to get made. They didn't. They, they didn't just you know turn them around in a year. So, and I think they started. Yeah, they started doing production on this in 1980. So there you go. Four and a half years it took them to get this thing to put together. Oh, I wonder if Bluth was still there when they started this. Um, I didn't see his name anywhere. Me neither. I looked, and I, it wasn't. What's really cool about it, this is also the first time that any Disney animated movie was using computer generated imagery. Right. Which, and you can tell. Yes. It's not hand-drawn. Yeah. You're seeing, you're also seeing things, but effects, it was used mostly yep. for effects, but you could tell it, but there's a consistency in that, and I watched it here in 4k and there's a crispness to the black lines that you weren't seeing so much in the previous release, which was Fox and the Hound, which was also directed by Ted Berman and Richard Rich, who have come back to do the Black Cauldron. Like you talked about how Bluth like it is, how Bakshi like it is. I think that's, it benefits from all those things because it's a dark fucking story. Yeah. And you know what else it benefits from? Uh, It it was the first Disney animated film that it's not a musical and doesn't have, there's no, there's no songs in it. Right. No one sings. And it took me about half the movie to realize, oh, hell, nobody's had it. Nobody started singing yet. (laughs) Right. Not even some just just humming. None of that. (laughs) Everything is spoken dialogue. The story is told either we get, we get a little narration from John Houston, right? At right. the beginning, right. everything else, you know, you, you learn through the characters and uh, no songs. Right. It's very somber. We should, we should, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of music, the score is performed by the man in the myth, Elmer Bernstein, man. Right. No joke. Ten Commandments, Magnificent Seven, To Kill a Mockingbird, Great Escape. Heavy metal, which is perfect since we're how we're leaning into this. Right. And then the Black Cauldron. And then the year before this, he did Ghostbusters. And now, ironically, it wasn't just because it sounded like Ghostbusters and it came the year before. I thought maybe he ripped, you know, he that he ripped it off from Ghostbusters. I had forgotten he was the composer for Ghostbusters. Yeah. It, no joke. It doesn't sound like it. It's 100% the cue from Ghostbusters. It is. Dude. 
I couldn't right? believe it was like every one like four or five times. And it's right at a moment where the light shoots up into the sky, just like in Ghostbusters. It's like, come on. We've talked about how much that's in, that's ingrained from our childhood. When it happens and you hear it, I could have my eyes closed. and I would have thought I was watching Ghostbusters. It's that distinct. But that's still cool, though. It's like a little homage to his thing, but it works. And then, of course, you follow up uh, Black Collar next with uh, Cape Fear and Age of Innocence. So it's crazy. All the people that he worked with over the years, like you said, no singing, but a, but a score that just matches the imagery so, so well. But Elmer Bernstein's the fucking man. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because this, I think also this is uh, Disney's first and maybe only animated film to get a PG rating, you know? And it was I'm, the first, know, it's yeah, push, for sure. It's pushing PG-13, yeah. honestly. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to, to me, this movie is as disturbing as Gremlins <laughs> or, or anything else from 1980. You know, this is another 1985 movie. Right. You know, by right. the way, we should note how we love 1985, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's so crazy, this movie. And apparently... There's some uh, there's some deleted scenes. Yeah, Kat, yeah, Katzenberg. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I dude, I but I want to know what they what did they what did they think was so disturbing they cut out because they left a lot of disturbing shit in here, man. Right, because they took the disturbing shit out, too much of it out. You're not going to know what the hell's going on story wise, right? <laughs> right. Been... Oh yeah, because it's all disturbing. Yeah, it's funny that even though this movie has a very familiar feel because of the comparisons we already made. One of the things about the movie that's unique about, I shouldn't say unique about it, but like Sword in the Stone, they have a very similar setup. You know, this young kid, Squire, by the way, between both those movies, this guy, Tarin, he's a complete dipshit. <laughs> Dude, he is, yes. Dipshit is the correct term. He loses a pig and he's, a, he's an assistant pig, pig, what is it, pig? Wrangler? What the hell is it? Pig sure, Handler? let's call it Pig Wrangler. Yeah. Pig Wrangler. <laughs> and he's, a, he's an assistant one, and, and it doesn't take him very long before he loses the pig. Dude. <laughs> and he's got it on a rope. Yeah. He's too busy looking at his reflection in the water, <laughs> distracting himself. Yeah. Look how cute I am. <laughs> he's pretty He's pretty infatuated with himself. <laughs> he really is. I mean, I guess I guess most teenagers are. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe. Maybe that's the point of it. Yeah. But man, <laughs> what a simple, simple kid he yeah. is <laughs> what's so funny is like when when the pig gets snatched it gets snatched by these two little dragons right they come up and like dude it's fucking harrowing dude like you know you people know how we feel about animals <laughs> i texted you right I yes remember I, I texted you and i was like dude i'm this is making me very anxious for, yes. for this poor pig <laughs> yeah and of course because you did you said that to me before i watched it and i'm like good god man and the thing is, Tarn is such a dummy that you didn't need to send two devious dragons to come by and snatch him up like like the beginning of no. Dragon Slayer snagging sheep. All I kept thinking is, man, those those poor pig, if they're just going to cut, it's going to squish or it's going to explode. What is going to happen with the pig? Because I, I did not remember details about this movie. And I saw it, you know, again, 30 years ago or more, yeah, 35 I forget, years ago. I forgot the pig could see into the future. I completely forgot that aspect of it. So when the old man's telling him, telling Tarn, oh, yeah, you know, he's a special pig. I'm like, yeah, feed him the slop so he can get bigger so we can cut him up and eat him. Right. But what's weird is like when he's saying that whole special pig, I'm looking at the pig and I'm like, God, it looks like Wilbur from Charlotte's Web. Dude. <laughs> Some pig. Uh, yeah. Well, this pig could f read the cauldron, dude. He could read tea leaves or something, you know, whatever. whatever. Yeah. So, so Henron, the name of the pig, which sounds a lot like Henry. Henron? But Henry, Henry gets seen in the future. And so 
he looks in the water and he can see the future and tell and 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 tell somebody's like a predestined whatever the fuck. Right. You're predestined. Yeah. And it, and I think that's why they call it predane. That's just why it's called the Chronicle of Pre. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you though. I, I, I think you're right. Yeah. The whole setup is the Horn King wants to bring back you know, this evil horde of the dead and he needs the Black Cauldron and the pig can find the Black Cauldron, which is why he sent these dragons to, to snatch up the pig. I guess he sent two of them because he figured it'd probably be harder for him to snatch that pig, but he doesn't know that Taryn, the assistant pig wrangler, is on the, on the scene, and he right. just lets one, him run one, off. Yeah, because he's not paying attention. <laughs> Don't go anywhere, pig. I'm going to let your rope go. I got I to gotta comb my hair in this reflecting pool. I really, I'm wondering if Lloyd Alexander wrote this in his book and what a dipshit Taryn was. And like, maybe, because Taryn didn't do a damn thing. He didn't like show up to, no. he's too busy fucking around with this Gergi character in the forest trying to give him an apple. <laughs> Ger- like- dude, right? <laughs> and, and dude, I was sure that Gergi was part of the whole scam. Right. Why wouldn't you? And it's voiced by the awesome John Biner. And if you grew up when we did, you know who John Biner is. He did lots of voices. If you ever seen the Anthony Aardvark, he does the voices on that. Uh, the Inspector Clouseau cartoons. If you know for that stuff from the Frizz Freeling post Warner Brothers era, that's what that's where you you know his voice. Plus, what do y'all know him from face wise? Oh, dude, he's Super Dave, bro. Well, no, he's on Super Dave. But Super, Super Dave, Dave was on the other was on the was an original character on that John Biner show. I don't forget the name of it. You're right. Uh, was it Bizarre? Bizarre. Thank you. That's what exactly what it yeah. was. John Biner and, and John, even before that, there was a show in the late 60s, early 70s that John Biner was a host of because I, I remember seeing him introduce Poco. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were singing on a boat. He's like, I'm going to step off the boat and let you guys have it. They, they, I think he even said, you guys all look like you maybe have been into something I don't need to be into <laughs> like because they, they all look real glassy eyed. But yeah, man, John and John Biner, dude, John Biner, yeah. wasn't he part of laughing? I mean, the guy you know he's a he's a legend dude. yeah he is a legend and you know what since we can talk about it since we're just a just a few weeks removed from february he was in stroker ace right How about that but no john biner and i think john biner does he show up on soap yep he was on soap oh, for I, god i think most of season three and ma that's right because he played the played detective donahue he was the one he he, he would show up often <laughs> Right. He's all, you know, he's in Transylvania 65,000. I mean, dude, it, it, the list just goes on and on. He's in a ton of stuff. A ton, a ton of TV work. Don Rickles show, Love American Style. He's badass. He's and He was like, anytime you saw John Biner, you're like, yes, you know what you were getting. Yeah. And he voices actually two characters in this. But the main character is the one we just talked about, this shitty little thing called Gergi. Uh, and when you hear Gergi's voice... Okay, first of all, let me preface what I'm about to say with, I think Andy Serkis is an amazing performer. Whether he's doing capture or he's doing vocal work, I think he is the best at what he does. But I got to think, and I'm taking that, I'm not saying he's ripping it off. I'm saying it's got to be an homage to what John Biner does with Gerke for his performance for Peter Jackson in the Hobbit series and the Lord of the Rings series. Because it sounds oh, yeah. a lot like... Smeagol slash Golem a lot. Uh, yeah. Also, it sounds a lot like Gobi from the uh, Gobi does a dog. I was yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. They've ripped it off. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so obviously it's what gums, right? And uh, you're, you're right. It's probably an homage rather than a straight ripoff. But I mean, 
but also I feel like you could rip off the black cauldron because it, for like 13 years, man, it didn't exist. Like it didn't even get a release on home video of any kind until 1998. Yeah. And it was a big deal too. when they put it out, like in the, almost as big as the title of the movie was for the first time ever on home video. I think the only reason they put it out there was because the, I think they ran out of things to put out. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, uh, there was also a, you know, I think it was kind of during the big sort of renaissance of all of that sort of Disney animation. Cause right. isn't that around the same year that Tarzan came out and right around there, you yeah. know, they're, they're just dropping like one every year, Emperor's new group. I mean, everything. And they just were like, Hey man, let's, let's get some, let's make some of that black cauldron money back. <laughs> Cause this thing was expensive. And we mentioned a lot of that whole home video moratorium scheme that they had going <laughs> Right. And this fit right into that. When movies come out of moratorium, especially, well, I don't know if anybody did it, but Disney, it's the Roy Disney way of doing things, man. Right. <laughs> Bring it back. This is the first time it ever been put out on video. So people went ape shit for it. And I don't think everyone went moratorium. I think it stayed out because it figured, hey, man, it's it's been locked up in the vault for too long. Let's just leave it out there. Right. And for a lot of people, it's not considered a classic, which is complete bullshit. Oh yeah, man. I, uh, to me, I, I mean, it's probably like I told you before we started recording, it, it's, it's definitely in like my top five Disney animated films yeah. now. I mean, I remember liking it when I was young, but I mean, again, I was like 15 and, and again, it wasn't available ever right. until I was 28. And by that time, you know, I wasn't like clamoring to buy VHS, <laughs> but uh, you know, what's crazy about looking at the poster of it. Was there, do you remember something called ElfQuest? <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the, the specific one, the picture that they have on Wikipedia? Yeah, the one, it, it, it's white, but it has the- Yeah, it, yeah, it has, the, the, it has more has more white more than white. actual art. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Dude, dude, yeah, that that doesn't even look like the, a cover of a Disney movie, a, a poster for a Disney movie at all. Not at all. Not whatsoever. This is the theatrical teaser poster. Yeah, like you noted, man, it feels like art for something else. And then again, that has a lot to do with why it was so poorly received. People are like, wait, what is this movie? In the same way that Don Blue stuff got mistaken for Disney. Oh, look at this because I think it's a Disney movie. This is this made people think that it wasn't a Disney movie at all. Right. I mean, and this is the same summer that Return to Oz came out. It was a rough summer for Disney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, two big releases that year. Super expensive adaptations of, you know, that they probably, you know, paid, you know, I, I don't know what they paid for the rights at the time, but I'm sure that, you know, everything about them was expensive. And then they both kind of tanked, but they're both awesome. It's that's, what's weird. And it was planned this way, but the movies came out a month apart, right? Return to Oz came out the month before this. I mean, they gave their movies no time to breathe. They didn't change anything. You know, the, the, the you know, Return to Oz didn't do poorly. And they said, oh, let's, let's, rush, let's rush our animated movie out. That'll give us what we need. No, it was already planned to be out in July. Right. I don't know why that, why that was, but you're right, man. This was, like we noted in early on, this was part of that dark Disney, not just on screen, but behind closed doors. It really put them in a bad place. And, and around this time, when, Kat, you know, when Katzenberg was put in charge of the feature film division, this, you know, he's put in that position by Michael Eisner, who did bring Disney back from the dead, literally. Right. <laughs> and it, they brought him back. And this is part of this is the part where Eisner had taken over. And this is where it put Katzenberg in, in the place that he put him in to run this stuff. And yeah, man, they took risks and everything. But you know what? Here we are recovering 
our second movie of the three that were in this period of time. And they're fucking both badass and they're not badass yeah. because they're not Disney or they're not Disney like they took risks, man. They told stories that, yeah, they wouldn't have taken done before, but they've done since they did it. They did it with touchstone movies and they did it with Hollywood picture movies. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause you know what I was going to say, you know, it came out three weeks after the release of this movie, <laughs> my science project. There you go. <laughs> and that was their first release. Wasn't it? It was their first touchdown yeah. or second one. Yeah. 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 Se- first or second. Yeah. I keep thinking it's the first because it was our first movie. <laughs> right. It was our first, but yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I want to point out, I already mentioned the character that, uh, that is the, the villain of this. And that's the, the horn King voiced by the amazing John Hurt. Every time you see him, I'm wait, I just can't wait for him to talk. Right. That sequence where he says, have the pig tell me where the cauldron is. <laughs> I can't do that. And he's like, fine. And they're going to kill the pig. Oh, yeah. Dude, every, 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 I'm hanging on his every word because yeah. it's, first of all, it's fucking John Hurt and he's badass. Yeah. But man, like, right. Like there was a point I was like, man, I need more. Where's the horn king? <laughs> when is he coming right. back? Cause I'm starting to, you know, I was, it's, it's, it's such an iconic performance. And like you had mentioned earlier, uh, he voices, um, for the Bashki films, right. Uh, in, in Lord, and not Lord, like, yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's crazy, man. And he, he's such, I mean, what a talented actor. I mean, and there, there's nobody like him. You, and you hear him and you instantly know, oh Yeah. That's him. And you know, it's going to be good. There's not going to be a false note ever. Right. Yeah. And we, we made a reference to the Bakshi Tolkien movies earlier. John Hurt actually voices the character Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings movies. So I thought that was kind of cool. We talked about there being scenes being cut from this, right? And because of how harrowing it was for kids and how they were going to alienate kids, that kind of thing. So Katzenberg had, you know, asked for some deleted scenes. That actually is why it got pushed to 85. It was supposed to have been out earlier, huh? which makes them booking it a month after Return to Oz a little more curious, right? Right. If you had, if you bumped it, why would you put it on the tails of a movie you anticipated being a hit? Because if it was a hit, it still would have been in the theaters four and a half, uh, three and a half weeks later. You know, what do you think about this here now that I'm thinking about it? Do you think that their strategy was like they had watched other movies receiving PG-13 but still attracting kids. So they, maybe they were like, you know, this is what kids are into these days. We can go a little darker. We can, you know, we can, we can, we can go a little bit further. We can push things, but by having the Walt Disney company, you know, that whole stigma attached to it, people were like, I'm going to take my kid. And then they were like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) You know, as opposed to like something like gremlins, which kids loved. I mean, which came out of the year earlier, but it, it, it wasn't a Disney film. So it didn't come with the Disney tag on it. So you look at the Gremlins poster, you, you hear word of mouth, you, you know what you're getting into, but ki- taking your kid to a Disney movie with the Disney, even like, look, cause the post, this poster, you know, even the verbiage on it, hidden by darkness, guided by witches, discovered by a boy, stolen by a King, whoever owns it will rule the world or destroy it. Okay. All that foreboding, terrible. Right. But the poster, it's not any more disturbing than Sleeping Beauty, but the movie is. <laughs> yes. We talked about the colors earlier. I mean, how good the movie looks. The colors are, it's such a rich palette and it's got to be. Oh, yeah. It's got to be the most colorful of the animated movies that we've seen. Like not we've seen, but like in, like on the show, but I mean like in yeah. general. I don't, I don't recall 
you, you get lots of colors in this that you may have seen in other movies, like since we're talking about Sleeping Beauty, the, all the purples and the magentas oh, yeah. that you see in that, you see them as much as in this. I mean, I made that Ghostbusters comparison earlier. All the all the green fog. Am I going? You might as well have said I <laughs> I got slimed, or like the shot that you talked about, or that I that screenshot I sent you where the army of the dead come back. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> it's right? that it's that cut scene that you have. I guess I guess Dragon's Lair is all cut scenes technically though, right? <laughs> yes. But when you die, when Dirk dies, this is this is what you would see. Right. Dirk turns into one of these guys. <laughs> these guys come to kill him. The color palette on this is fucking ridiculous. It really is something else. And I mentioned the 4K aspect of it. Even if you don't have a 4K TV, the down conversion to 1080p still shows Dude, how, how amazing beautiful. the colors are. And the crisp, the, this is why I think this might have something to do with the CG stuff isn't just for the effects, but I think they might have been using it for some of the consistencies of the black lines because when sure. we, because Sword in the Stone, you're talking about Sword in the Stone, uh, Jungle Book, Robin Hood, Aristocats. Dalmatians. Those, yeah, those yeah. movies right there were, you could see those lines being more sketch-like. And th these lines are sort of far more defined. But that's what me, I think that's why this movie was so poorly received. It wasn't just, you know, it did 21 million bucks box office, which isn't great for a movie that cost $44 million. No. But yeah, they spent a lot of money for an animated movie. And as we previously discussed, just 20 years before that, the movies were only costing them $4 million. And the idea of people, they're spending $4 million in 1963 to make an animated movie. Yeah. Right. But they're consistent. They're consistent with other Disney animated movies. They're still short in duration. They're still way under 90 minutes. This one clocks in oh, yeah. like 84, 82. 82, 84 80, minutes. Right? Yeah. Hour and 22, I think. Yeah. And, and it's perfect. But like you talk about, the, the headline of the poster, that's a promise of some things you don't get. Right. It's a promise of things to come in the books and the movies after this. Disney was never big on making sequels. That's why I think it was so funny, just like with Sword in the Stone, there's a continuation of, uh, I mean, the majority of that story is still to come. Just like with Black Cauldron, there's a majority of that story is still to come. You don't ever get it. What's weird about the sequel thing is they weren't big at making sequels until Home Video Man in the late nineties. Cause then you got your Aladdin two, your Emperor's New Groove two. Yeah. You know, you got a part two, but they were all straight to video. Right. And it was we and we talked about that briefly and and, and during I, I forgot what it was, but but just just the advent of you were seeing that stuff with VHS a little bit, but then it really picked up with DVD. Oh yeah. There's a truth about Disney that can never be denied. They are about selling to families and selling to families all the time. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> the whole empire is based around catering to families. Oh, yeah. And once they had the ability to put these little discs in, into their parents' hands and not worry about VHS tapes and the fact you can jump right to moments in a movie for those kids. And what? You can play one of these in the car? Oh, dude, the whole industry blew up because of it. And if you guys recall, maybe some of you might not be old enough that when Blu-ray came around, it came down to this new brand new high def format. Is it going to be HD DVD or is it going to be Blu-ray? And it all came down to two things. <laughs> everybody was waiting to see which way Disney went and everybody's waiting to see which way the porn industry went. <laughs> the two biggest home video sellers in the world. Right. And uh, obviously we have Blu-rays now because that's the choice both of those industries went with. 
But that's when we started getting sequels when DVD hit. How many times has Disney put out a, a sequel to a movie that wasn't straight to video and actually went to a theater? Right. Countless. I mean, I can't even, I, I mean, I, literally, I could start right now going through, and I feel like every animated movie from 89, I right. guess that's Little Mermaid, right? Right. Up until 2004, they all got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel At like least they one. all got a straight yeah. to video, right? If not two. Right. Aladdin got two, you know, Jafar and then Jafar Returns. <laughs> yeah. All that garbage. It's fine. But like, but so the ones that you want to see sequels to like the Black Cauldron, because there's already a story right. there. You're not writing some bullshit schlocky stuff straight for video. Correct. I think maybe it has something to do with this. Yeah. It would take a lot more money to do it right. And you can't just, here's the thing now, if they, if they spent the time and, and, and put out a Black Cauldron sequel and put it in the theaters. Well, when we come back to theaters, thank God, look, looks like we're getting close. Thank God. Right. Dude, I'm so desperate to go to the movie theater. I mean, I'm not desperate enough to go. It's not safe. Right. But I'm I'm very excited that we're getting closer. But you know what I was thinking as I was watching this is maybe if they did reboot this, if they still own the properties, now they would they they would it would be a live action movie like The Sorcerer's Apprentice or any of those things. And, and I think they could go darker, like Malficent. You know, right? They could just run with that. I mean, I don't. I mean, somebody should do it. This would be a kick ass. They could do the trilogy. Right. Everybody's looking for, everybody's looking for franchise. Well, I mean, they, they've already, if they still own the rights to it, which I would imagine they do maybe, right? or maybe they, you know, it was such a pull on the company that they probably just, you know, who knows, this is something that could be rebooted. Although I don't know that I would try to reanimate it, man. I think I'd go live action because I don't know you could top this. No, it's funny because looking at the movies that came right after this, like, you know, the next year was the great mouse detective and then Oliver and company they kind of went back to their little safer formula. The Great Mouse Detective, not quite. The Great Mouse Detective was like the, the transition between like where they had tried to go with this, I think, and to where they would end up with culminating with, you know, the, the rebirth of all of it with Little Mermaid for the formula. Right. We talked a lot about that aspect of it and, and, and the whole bunch of the, how much the animation, this isn't just the first point where CG was being introduced for effect and possibly for more from, for in the bulk of the general animation. And the, but this was, it didn't change. It just got more used more and more. And now with so much CG being used in a movie, you know, it'd be live action. Let's be honest, man, how much of the live action wouldn't be some kind of, yeah, for sure. Some kind of generated images from inside a box, especially with the direction that they've gone recently, taking their classics and, and doing them up. But you're right, though. I really feel like, and it could be fucking amazing. If Can you imagine somebody else grabbing a hold of this? Because there's a big cult following for the movie. Oh, yeah. And like I mentioned, the first time I ever seen the movie was a bootleg VHS because this shit wasn't out for anybody to consume. Nobody. No. Also, I want to point out, too, the next year, speaking of Dark Disney, where they were really hurting, the Great Mouse Detective would come out the next year. Right. Right. And that was an increase of using the CG. I actually kind of like the Great Mouse Detective. I am, but, that, but my point being yeah, is- this Nobody is, talks about it. Nobody talks about it. So my point really is, people like look at the Black Collar and say, you know, oh, it's the darkness that kind of affected how well it did and all that, blah, and all that bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, what about the Great Mouse Detective? You know? That didn't yeah. do great for them. And, and it, it made $40 million. 
1986 money for an animated film, but animated films weren't really, nobody's animated films were doing really much except for like uh, maybe Fievel. I don't know, but I mean, but they learned how to do, they learned, I think they, they learned a lot doing the Black Cauldron, right? They took about $30 million off of that budget <laughs> between Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. I mean, that's considerable. So, so there were a lot, there wasn't a big net loss there, like 40 million cost of 14 rather than cost them 44 and made 20. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why I'm bringing up the great mouse detective is because this movie was supposed to have been, and they were going to put it out in Christmas of 1987. So the year that you're in a senior, the year I graduated, they were going to be putting this movie out for Christmas time. Michael Eisner said, Hey, you know what? We're going to cut this budget. <laughs> down to 24 million. I mean, if they're going to cut the $24 million budget in half and they greenlit it for $10 million and it eventually you know, cost them 14 to make it. This, and this was all taking place before Cauldron. Yeah. As far as like Cauldron wasn't poorly received at this point. It was like they because Cauldron cost them so much. They said, Hey, we got to cut this in half and take some of that budget to finish this one. Cause this is our masterpiece. Cause you know, and that's kind of what happened. So in a lot of ways, Black Cauldron didn't just affect, you know, itself. It affected what the company had coming down the line. Sure. Even if they did cut this budget in half to, from, you know, didn't cut it in half to the $24 million that it was uh, or originally budgeted, it still would have made money. It still would have done well because a lot of people felt like this was a real Disney movie. But I really feel like they could have stuck around and and, and did a sequel to, if the, I mean, if the Black Cauldron even though it wasn't pro, as, as well received, could you have done a sequel if you, if you didn't, if it didn't cost you $44 million? Could you, have, would you think sequel if it cost you half that? Sure. I don't know, man. Cause it didn't, it didn't even equal what, what it was budgeted for. Forget about the P and a, whatever advertising they had to pay for back then. I don't know. Well, they didn't man. spend any money on the poster. <laughs> it's just, but if you look at the Great Mouse Detective, it's another terrible white poster with uh, everything just kind of jammed right in the center and more white than anything. And, and what does that one remind you of? You know, what reminded me of when I saw it. Beethoven. It, it reminds me. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, I was going to say that it, it it reminded me of All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah, I mean, sort of, which. But all dogs was it all dogs before this or after this? After this, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, after Great Mouse Detective. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we can't go down that road right now. Good lord, we're talking Black Cauldron still. I feel like everybody kind of went Don Bluthy for a bit, yeah. especially after American Tale. Now, when we talked uh, briefly about the, the the look of the you know very moments where it looks like a like Bakshi's work in wizards and which I don't know if I mentioned wizards during the show, but I know we talked about beforehand wizards and, and the Hobbit and his Lord of the Rings. There was something called APT that was used, which is called animation photo transfer process. And this was the first time you did it. And this is where the tech that would use the rough animation would be processed onto celluloid. So this is why you're getting those crisper lines like we talked about. So it wasn't CG so much as it was a deliberate transfer of images directly to film as a, you know, cause the thing is about it, you, it's all animated stuff and it's, it, it's, you know, two frames at a time, right. And move on. Yep. But with this, there's the same thing they're printing right on the film, which is pretty wild. That's exactly why it's so crisp and so CG like it's because it's, it's mechanical. 
So even though it's not technically computer generated, it's still like a Xerox copy of stuff. And that's another thing too. There is something to be said about the movies that we talked about before sword and after sword and leading up to this, where that charm of the sketch feeling, you know, almost like they, like they just drew it just before you watched it. Like, Hey, we animated this just before you watched the movie. Cause it looks like that. It looks, we're so used to seeing movies now, Pixar type stuff and hell, even the, even the newer Disney animated movies, like we were talking about the Aladdin's Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid and the lesser titles like Emperor's New Groove, Tarzan. And that's, you mentioned Tarzan earlier when we were coming out of that nineties, 98, 99, 98. Yeah. And that one, that one was CG heavy in a big way. Cause it had to be, there's no way people are going to be able to hand drop a lot of those jungle scenes. It's just not possible. And it's wonderful as far as the animation goes, but the charm that says Disney animated movie was gone. And, and I think, what, what would you say the last movie was like that? Uh, shit. Yeah. Rescuers, right? Uh, probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, yeah, I mean, and I just watched it after we watched Sword in the Stone. I went down a sort of a, you know, kind of <laughs> wanted to take a pick, <laughs> peek at a few of those, but yeah, the rescuers for sure would be it. Yeah, and that movie, like you're talking about, that movie's dark as fuck, man. Isn't it just, oh. isn't just dark in tone? I feel like they're always in the dark swamp, right? They're always- They're in the, well, they're in the sewers. That's right. where the rescuer society, you know, it's from the mouse's point of view. Yeah, and it's always dark and it's always, you know, once they get to Devil's Bayou and shit, good Lord, dude. Right. That boat that they live on with uh, Madame Medusa, who is, it literally is Ursula, the sea witch. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's so weird, man, like watching that stuff like now as an adult and being like, oh, this mother, you know, they're literally just plucking things out of other stories. Right. Uh, and, and it's fine because it's all cool because it's all different, but just very similar. And maybe that's them doing homage to themselves. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's funny, man, because a lot of these, you know, again, and I remember the best, I always think about grim fairy tales or Hans <laughs> Christian Andersen, right? The thing I always liked about those were that they were dark and there was, you know, there was always a little something to be afraid of, man, when you're getting your bedtime fairy tale stories. Right. So <laughs> I have no problem with dark Disney. Yeah, dude, this, I mean, this movie is pretty great. And you know, when there's a continuation to the storyline, you want the continuation, you know, you, you want the, you, you want to hear, you want to, so I've been like, I'm like, I'm looking it up going, I want to read the books. Yeah, me too. Right? The way it ends? I, I, I was looking to see if I could buy like a box set of the, or, you know, there was something like the Chronicles of Narnia, how it used to come a little by. I was looking to see if there was a, um, you know, like a three pack or is it three, three books, right? For the Cauldron? The Chronicles of Predane are five books. Five books. Yeah. See, that would make sense. It's five books. What? You should know though. The reason the confusion lies is that the first book is called the Book of Three. <laughs> and then the Black Cauldron, Castle of Lear. Terran, the Wanderer, and the High King. Okay. Like I said, you starts off, you don't lose anything. You, know, you, you don't lose anything in the storytelling by not knowing what happens before this. And, and we mentioned earlier. No, It's an all. amalgam of the Black Cauldron, which is the second book in the series, and the Book of Three, which is the first book. They tell you just enough of what you need to know from the first book to kind of move your way into this. But there's three full books after this. The, the bulk of the, the, the story being told by Alexander, you haven't heard it yet. And it's, and it's right there for us to pick up a book and read. 
See, if there's anything that the three movies we've covered so far has made me want to do anyway, is go back and read the books. I've never read these. I never read any of the any of the the Sword and Stone series, but it definitely made me want to go back to Oz. Yeah, next week's, which everybody already knows we're doing something wicked this way comes. <laughs> yes, is from a book. Oh, that's right. We were being secret about it earlier, but we already told everybody what it was. <laughs> no, yeah, totally. We we announced it like the fucking Oz week, week one. Do we? Oh shit, we announced it, yeah during Kickstart. Just to make sure people had time to get together. Right. All of these kind of make me want to do a little reading. Yeah. I mean, this is, a, I feel like this is a movie that a lot of people haven't seen, probably because, again, it wasn't available forever. And it's also, it's kind of, you know, depending on who you're talking to, all people, people either say, you yeah, know, this is the movie that almost sank Disney. Well, so what? And Disney's almost sank themselves plenty of times. Yep. It's, it wasn't one movie. It was, it was a culmination of probably at least three of the four movies we've covered. <laughs> and that's why we did it. But uh, yeah, man, I, I feel like, you know, if you have Disney Plus, you're not watching this movie, watch it. Because it's, this is actually, I mean, I'd seen Oz and I still love Oz, but I would say I'll make my final decision on this next week <laughs> after viewing uh, Something Wicked. This might have been my favorite of the month. Yeah. As much as I love Return to Oz, just like that, this has become probably my favorite animated Disney movie. Yeah. When I, when I see... Sword in the Stone. Yeah, I kind of, I want kind of want to see the rest of it, but I already know where it goes. You know, I know what's next. Yeah. But this, I have no idea what's next. Yeah. Just like with the other two movies, it makes me want to go read them. It makes me want to go read what I don't know. Yeah. Um, with Oz, it was me revisiting things I know really well. But yeah, dude, I'm really excited. To, I really want to get into these. I mean, if it ends up being that I, I get the books uh, in an audible form, then so be it. I mean, we, we could go on about the plot of this movie, but there's no reason to go on about the plot of this movie because that's really not what we're doing right now, especially with these dark Disney movies. But I don't, I do, I wouldn't want to spoil any of this movie for anybody. No, me either. I think we set up enough. The visuals. I mean, I think, I think we've, we've, we've spoiled a couple of the key sequences already, but we didn't really delve into them. But what, what did we spoil? Well, you know, we showed dragons, them. flying dragons. Pigs, yeah. But you see that pigs. in the trailer though, right? Yeah, of course. Right. You're right. You see all of it in the trailer. The army of the dead coming back. Yeah. I yeah. mean, look, man, to me, it's a, it's a super fun film. And, you know, if you got Disney Plus, you're you're exploring that. It's something that, well, before we even decided to cover it, there were a few things I was thinking, like, that were on Disney Plus. And I was like, does it make it worth paying for Return to Oz, this? Because I did go through and look at stuff. And I was like, hmm, now if they only had this, this, and this, <laughs> I'd be yes. You know, it's a weird thing about watching this movie and I don't know why, but it made me want to watch Treasure Planet. <laughs> Treasure Planet's rad. I love Treasure Planet, but I haven't seen it since it came out. And this could have fit in that world too, because it was one of those rarities where it had, it was a failed Disney animated movie. Box office failure. I shouldn't say it's a yeah. failed because it's good. It's really good. And when you consider when it came out, it was a lot like Sword in the Stone. It came in as the, you know, the condiment to a very meaty sandwich for movies before it and after it that were massive hits. Yeah, man. It's eye candy for sure. Yeah. It's like visually spectacular. You could watch it with the sound down. Like you pointed out, that's the standout for this, you know, for Treasure Planets, the same standout it is for Black Cauldron. Disney didn't never put it out again because for a company that's really big on being a machine and putting out things to get for the sake of money, because this thing, this thing still would have made money. 
Right. If you put it out on VHS, it still would have made, it still would have done well. There's two movies right there in the landscape of Disney animated movies that stand out because they're so different than everything else that they've done. Uh, it's something I feel like had I been given the access to it after 1980, I would have definitely seen this more than I had seen it. But, you know, again, they buried it for a long time because, uh, you know, they were, I don't know if they were ashamed of it or, you know, whatever it was. I think it was mostly about the dark content. And I think it really upset a lot of people, you know, when it came out because it was so dark for, you know, a Disney movie. People expecting even like a, the darkness of Sleeping Beauty. This is, this is like, it makes Sleeping Beauty look like Blake Edwards' fine mess. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's nothing scary. There, there, there's not an animated movie up to this point that was th this dark. Even those Ralph Bashke movies aren't as dark as this. You're right, though. You know, it has a lot to do with the source material, I'm guessing, because this shit was dark as fuck. <laughs> Disney outdid everybody as far as like that. Oh, you want to go? Yo, we, we can go dark. Here, man. <laughs> we can do that check you. this out. Hold my beer. <laughs> and there you go. Check it out. Disney Plus, The Black Cauldron. You won't be disappointed. No. Nope. So if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, you can follow Corey at Corey underscore Cope. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. That's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me at Letterboxd, I am still at Tom Cody. Cody, Cody, Cody. Cody. Cody.